Hello, everyone. My name is Paul Phillips, and I am the Director of Event Content Development for ISACA. And today I have the privilege of interviewing a very skilled individual that recently wrote an article for ISACA. And I believe it's entitled IT Risk and IT Audit Working Together to Reduce the Burden on the Business. Uh, and I know this is going to be a very interesting article. So I a very interesting conversation. The article is interesting as well. I want to introduce to you Benjamin Bart and allow him to uh, introduce himself. Benjamin. Yeah, thank you very much. So my name is Benjamin Bartz. Um, I'm a governance risk and compliance or GRC analyst for John Deere. Um, my current role, I first started out doing more third-party risk. Um, it kind of evolved into more internal risk for various applications, processes, uh, business units around the organization. And then um, before this, I was actually in IT audit, both as an IT auditor and as an IT supervisor. And uh, also part-time, I teach cybersecurity fundamentals for Eastern Iowa Community Colleges in Davenport, Iowa. Awesome. Well, thank you for that introduction. Benjamin, you and I are very similar. We have very similar backgrounds. I too am an, an, a former IT audit, audit manager and a risk professional, and I've actually also taught uh, cybersecurity fundamentals. So uh, we're like the same. So I think this is going to be a very interesting conversation. Why don't we start by uh, telling us, tell us about the article. Uh, give us an overview of, of the article. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I've had the the honor of working in all three lines of defense. So when I first started my career in security, it was really as it was basically as an IT part time student. But the type of work I was doing was very internal control analyst focused, mm -hmm. and it was working in more of the legacy environment. So like mainframe type of systems. Um, after that, um, I moved into audit, like I mentioned, and then finally GRC. So all three lines of defense and all three lines, regardless of the role I've been in, there's been this common theme where um, when you're in the second or the third line, you kind of feel like you're creating this big burden for the business because you're constantly interrupting them with artifact requests or interviews. And sometimes people just want to get their job done and move on. They don't really want to be audited. They don't want to go through a risk assessment. Um, and then similarly, when I was in the first line, I knew what it was like to have both internal audit, external audit, um, risk folks as well come in, interrupt me from what I was doing. And a lot of the time, the pattern I saw was the types of things we're asking for or that we're being asked of are the same things over and over and over. So um, the particular position I was in, a very common artifact request that I would see would be um, user access request, for example. And so uh, I've got one audit team asking me for users. Fast forward a month or two later, I've got the external audit team asking me for users. Um, and this goes on and on with all these different artifact requests. So with that being said, um, I wanted to write an article basically talking about how we can really minimize this overlap and make it to where it's not just helping the business out and getting their job done or letting them focus on their work, but it's also making it to where the IT audit teams, the risk teams 
don't have to continuously keep going back and using their time um, to constantly ask the business for the same thing over and over again. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. I I know I've experienced a lot of that myself on both sides of the of the fence. So, and actually, in that overview, I think you've actually answered a couple of the questions we have so far. But let me just start with the first one. You can expound on it. Why do you think risk and audit sometimes have a bad reputation? Yeah. So, to be very honest with you, um, again, coming from both sides of of the fence here, both being the one being audited as well as being the one auditing. Um, and a lot of the same principles apply to the risk analysts as well. But sometimes it can be very frustrating where let's say you're an IT application owner, you have an auditor come in who's asking you for something that doesn't even make sense, right? So one example would be, let's say you're working on a mainframe system and an IT auditor comes in and asks for something that isn't even relevant to the mainframe, or it'd be impossible to get on the mainframe. Um, and so having to explain to an auditor this technology they've never seen before can get frustrating at times. And um, sometimes it can be, uh, there's this degree of, why am I telling you how to do your job, right? Um, so that's kind of one aspect of it. Another aspect of it is um, I haven't personally experienced this too much. I've heard from colleagues also in the industry, but uh, sometimes people in the position of being in audit or in risk might have this very interrogative type of relationship with the person or the people they're auditing. So rather than that relationship, that back and forth of really empathizing with each other, really trying to make the organization as secure as it can be, sometimes it can come off as more of like an interrogation, um, which also makes people very nervous. They begin to dread audit. They begin to dread the risk assessment process. Um, and so I, I think, unfortunately, those things end up giving audit and risk a bad rap. Um, and, you know, one thing that I always go back to in terms of an auditor being very technical, <clears throat> excuse me, is basically um, an auditor is supposed to know a lot of different technologies. And sometimes it can be very hard. One day you're auditing mainframe, the next day you're auditing the cloud, the next day you're auditing a Linux server. So being able to have these interviews with these stakeholders and really guide the interview in a way to where you're getting a really impactful audit or risk assessment can be very difficult. And so relying um, heavily on IT scripts and checklists, um, sometimes the business can see that and it comes off as checklist auditing or checklist risk assessing, if that makes sense. It does, it does. Well, what are some of the ways we can improve uh, the culture towards audit and risk, because I agree with you 100%. There's that antagonistic relationship. Uh, so what are some of the things we can do to improve risk and audit so that we come across as a partner rather than someone looking over uh, the shoulders of someone doing their work? Yeah, great question. So this is one of those things like a lot of um, a lot of topics in the in the organization, it's really both top down and bottom up. It's very important for leadership to see all these things happening, these cybersecurity events happening in the news. Um, it's important for them to understand the importance of IT audit and risk, 
to make sure that the organization has the people, the tools, the resources, the processes in place to prevent these things from happening. And then similarly, it's very important for um, audit and risk to continuously provide leadership with this data that really shows not only justification of their existence, but also how beneficial and how impactful they can be. Um, so, you know, with IT audit, for example, audit when executed really well can do a phenomenal job of saying, um, hey, here, here are all these um, people or here are all these systems that are going against the standard we have in place. 70% 70, 70 of our systems are against organizational standards. So for IT audit to bring that kind of data to leadership, they can show leadership, okay, we might have to either update our standard, we might have to update our technology because we're unable to meet the standards we have uh, listed. Um, we have major security gaps that could be a really big concern. Um, and then similarly with risk, risk can really show how impactful their data is for risk-based decisioning. So it's no longer making decisions based off of gut feeling. Now um, the business is able to really make these security versus functionality choices based off of some really clear-cut data. So by doing those two things, leadership showing their support, pushing that down to the business, and then the reverse, uh, risk and audit really showing their worth, their justification to leadership, it can make it to where these two areas are no longer seen as checking a compliance box. Um, there's, we're able to do proactive, impactful work rather than just, it's another admin activity. Yeah, I really like that answer. Those are really good examples of how we can improve our image, if you will, and, and hey, and I like the words you use, being proactive and impactful rather than just checking off a checklist. So because we do, most audits are done based on risk. We do risk-based auditing now. Many times risk and auditing are asking for the same information for different reasons. Uh, what are the, uh, a few examples of how audit and risk can leverage each other's work in order to be more efficient? Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, one really good example, and this a lot of this depends on the maturity of the organization, right? So um, if let's say you are in IT audit and you're about to perform an audit of the HR department or all of the applications within the HR function, um, it might be overwhelming to see how many applications, how many third parties systems fall under that umbrella. And so if IT audit were to leverage the data from the risk function and say, okay, we've got a hundred applications that fall under this umbrella, but these 10 applications, their residual risk has still come out to be critical. Um, so therefore we have a really big problem with the control effectiveness. So maybe those are the controls that we look at first or the third parties that we look at first. And then similarly on the risk side of things, um, a lot, of, a lot of IT audit has been around for a long time just based off of Sarbanes-Oxley and a lot of what happened in the early 2000s. So um, what I found is a lot of organizations are actually more mature in their IT audit space versus their risk function. And so um, for risk right now, they might still be in a phase of their maturing 
where they're kind of wrapping their arms around the organization, they might not be able to give audit all of this data that they need. And even if they can do that, there might be systems or controls that audit has already investigated or um, has audited that risk could say, hey, I'm looking at these controls for this application, um, such as like third party controls. This is a third party application. You did an audit of this area earlier in the year. Did you ask for like a SOC 2 report or an ISO 27001? Let me leverage that when I go to score the effectiveness versus having to ask either the business or the third party again for those same things. And then using different, there's a lot of different tools out there on the market that have a bunch of these frameworks like CIS, COBIT, mm -hmm. uh, NIST, ISO that are already mapped for you. So being able to leverage those tools available and mapping what audit has looked at, what risk has looked at, and figuring out a way to um, rate the control effectiveness. And similar, similarly for audit, validating if it's an effective control. So there's a couple different ways each, each department could leverage the other's work. And, and, and that's great, but and, and that's all about internal entities, the audit mm -hmm. department, the risk team. Let's talk about how all of this factors in when it comes to external auditing or external auditors and regulators. How do we work yep. with those guys? Yeah, so, um, you know, you might read this article and immediately think, okay, well, great. Let's start utilizing each other's work where there's overlap. Awesome. Where sometimes it could be a little bit tricky as external audit might have very specific requirements to where, yeah, you might be leveraging each other's work, but if external audit comes in and you might have a setup to where they're, um, they only, you bill them for a very limited amount of hours because they actually leverage internal audits work already. If your work is leveraging the risk team's work and that work isn't really up to your standards or their standards, then they're really not able to leverage your work at that point. So it could create more cost of relying more heavily on the external audit firm to come in. So it's very important to have regular touch bases with the external auditors or regulators and really understand, hey, have there been any updates to your program? What kind of stuff are you looking for? Um, sometimes they might have scripts available, so that way you can share those scripts with your system admins. Um, but really understanding the requirements where there might be some tests where they can't leverage your, your work or your data. They have to come in and do a very fresh report at the time of the audit or, or a fresh uh, exam at the time of the audit or, or regu regulatory body. But um, so understanding those requirements up front is really important. And that way you're really prioritizing the right controls to start either automating or leveraging from um, both functions. So Benjamin, you've talked a lot about leveraging each other's work, understanding requirements, being proactive, um, and a lot of different really great ways of how we can be more efficient uh, and mindful of uh, other people's time, if you will. If someone in risk or in audit were to watch this podcast and read your article and want to immediately start implementing some of these things you've spoken about today, what should they do first? Where should they start? 
Yeah, so I think number one is really making sure that relationship is there already. Um, if it's not there, I think the two teams need to really meet um, and really get to know each other, understand each other's goals, what they're doing, um, some of their roadblocks, some of their frustrations that they both deal with. Because I guarantee, as, as we both mentioned, since a lot of the work overlaps, they're probably dealing with a lot of the same problems. Um, there might be certain controls they're both having a hard time reviewing. Um, there might be certain systems where um, they're identifying these control deficiencies where they're really having a, a difficult time escalating those things to leadership. So if someone were to watch this and want to start immediately implementing these things right away, I think having that relationship developed first is very important. But then also being a lot more actionable, not just, hey, let's meet once a week or once a month and talk about our frustrations or, um, you know, touch base. Let's have very actionable um action-driven items that we can take care of. And hopefully by the next time we meet, we've got something new in place. We've got something to review. Um, and that kind of goes into, I don't know how many of you are familiar with like Agile and Scrum and everything, but um, coming up with the this concept of like a temporary Scrum team, for example, where you're trying to remove the overhead of doing like um, retros and uh, refinement sessions and stuff, and instead focusing on a shared backlog of very specific user stories, deliverables, things you want to accomplish. Um, and so making that list after you've formed either a temporary team or you've just built that relationship with each other, and then over time, holding each other accountable, pairing, working together, developing those skills for both teams, to make it where you're making very steady and impactful progress that's helping the business it's helping you and you've got something to really show leadership yeah i think that's great and i love the fact that you talked about relationship building because i think that's so important and we forget about uh that aspect of it when we get into the very technical uh processes we forget about the importance of building relationships and it almost sounds like what you were just describing is or suggesting is that we almost manage these relationships and these work processes between the departments and entities almost like a project and, and the fact that we should be planning uh accordingly and appropriately we should be meeting periodically so how does the whole project management piece uh, in your mind play into that? Is that something that you think would be valuable? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the thing that I'm really um, passionate about is trying to minimize the amount of overhead that's typically associated with a project. So mm -hmm. to be very honest, I'm very, I'm much more familiar with Agile and Scrum and how those mm -hmm. types of projects are managed. Um, in fact, in my last role, along with the responsibilities of being a, a supervisor, an audit supervisor, I was also our scrum master for our team. So I'm very yeah. familiar with scrum, but sure. um, being able to have that shared backlog to where you're breaking things down in a very manageable way to where yes. you can get things done continuously. I think that's what's really important. Um, I think when you don't have that formal setting, sometimes things kind of get pushed away because you're working on more um, other things that are in the forefront. So yeah, absolutely. Treating it like a project. 
Well, great. You know, Benjamin, that's all the questions that we have time for. Uh, and I, again, you use, I'm a word guy, so use a, use a lot of keywords, relationship, uh, being proactive, right? Leveraging each other's work. A lot of things that stuck out to me. Uh, so thank you for your time. I encourage everyone to go out and read the article. It's really, really interesting. And in my opinion, it's, it's very practical things that you can take and implement immediately. So I'm going to give you uh, the last word. What do you want to your, your audience to take home? Um, again, the word partnership comes to mind, really working together as a risk and an audit function. You're both there to keep the organization secure. So doing what you can to support the business, support each other in any way, I think that's what's really important here. Great, great. Well, Benjamin, thank you for your time and your expertise. And thank everyone for uh, viewing this podcast. Thank you so much.